breakfast with Bob. Welcome back to Breakfast with Bob. My name is Bob Babbitt. We're brought to you by PTO, the Pro Triathletes Organization, by Amp Human VeloFix Normatech Form Goggles, you can, and of course, our Challenged Athletes Foundation. My next guest, 1994 Ironman World Champion, Ironman Hall of Famer, ITU World Champion, Mr. Greg Welch joins us. How you doing, Welchie? I'm good, but more importantly, speed golf partner. Come on, bro. We've been exactly. Doing- you know what I was thinking today? I could put on a speed golf tournament, right? Because people go off one at a time. Mm-hmm. We could do it and follow the rules and have some fun. Even in, even with this old guy right here and how slow he is these days, I still I think I can still be competitive at that. Because you're a golfer. You're a really good golfer. Uh, no, I wouldn't say really good golfer, but it's okay. I remember years ago when we were doing the speed golf tournament and we were following you as with one of the golf pros. And I'm like, because you're, in terms of our guys, you're a good golfer. And I said, you know, Greg's a pretty good golfer. And he goes, yeah, he's okay. I said, well, how long do you think it would take him to become like really good? He said, like, mean like scratch or like be able to play with the top guys? Yeah. You know, only about 10 years or so. Like ten years. I mean, it's that's a brutal sport. It is really, really hard to get. You can get good, but to get great, that's another deal. Uh, you just got to work on. It. It's like triathlon. You know, you got to work hard, but you know, you definitely got to have a knack you know, for golf. Most golfers, you know, are really good from a young age. Right. And then they, you know, it's not as a very low percentage of golfers that come into it late in life are, are successful. But there's a few, but not too many. So for you, Greggy, growing up in Australia, what were your sports growing up? Oh, it's amazing. You know, growing up in Australia is uh, just incredible because you're just surrounded by water. So mostly water sports. I took up surfing when I was three years old. My grandfather bought me my first foam surfboard with a fin in it when I was three. So that was our first little thing that we did. And in Australia, you all have to learn how to swim at school. Yep. So swimming, you know, was a part of it. So swimming and surfing was was right there. But I started playing rugby league at five years of age. So there was, I played 10 straight years. We won the premiership one time. I started moving into tennis when I was about 10. Only played that for about a year. Um, but I always went to tennis with mum, uh, you know, because she was at the courts, you know, during the week. And if we had a day off school, or whatever, we'd go with her. Uh, so, and then I went into squash. Um, squash is where I played at a high level. I played yeah. like as a, as a semi-pro and um, I was right up there playing you know a grade and just uh, below the top guys in Australia so that was that was a lot of fun that's where I got my uh, competitiveness but I was in um, in primary school where I actually started running on the track and uh, in fifth grade um, I remember they the coach put me in the 800 <laughs> and I was like okay I didn't know what I was doing but Every afternoon at football practice, they'd make us do two laps of the oval and I would always lap everyone. <laughs> so he goes, I'm going to put you in the 800. And I won it in fifth grade. And I was only three foot six, you know, I was knee high to a grasshopper. Right. And um, yeah, so from then on, I, I love cross country. And, and that's how I started. So were you running cross country through high school then? Yeah. So I ran cross country uh, in high school. Um, I finished uh, like fourth in the state championship one time and then I sort of went downhill from there because I didn't really train that much because we moved so I had to commute an hour and a half to school um, on two trains and one bus Uh, so it took me an hour and a half to get to school an hour and a half to get home Uh, so there really wasn't much time for uh, for training 
when did you find the sport of triathlon? I found it in 1985 um, when my buddy uh, Richard Walker was, um, we we're in the same surf club together, Cronulla, and um, he was going off to do a triathlon. I was like, what's a triathlon? <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah. why don't you come and watch me? So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll come down because it was a local event, um, but it was about 13 kilometers away from my home. So I ran there to watch him race and then i was so psyched you know I was, he was going to drive me home after it he actually won the race and uh i was so psyched i ran home i, was, I did like a 26k run that day and the very next day i went and bought a bike <laughs> what was your first race my first race was the lake illawarra triathlon 1985 one mile swim 36 minutes uh 36k on the bike probably near to last and i ran 90 no sorry i ran from I think it was 600th place into 95th place overall. <laughs> so you knew you just needed to work a little bit on that swim bike stuff. Yeah, exactly. So it was funny in the swim, uh, Bob, I, I got out of the water and it was full of jellyfish that day. So yeah. I was like stung, you know, from face all the way down to the toes. So it was disgusting. No, big, big ones. I mean, yeah, like 12 inches. Man of war type of things. Yeah, no, no, they would kill you. But uh, these just these big jellyfish. So anyway, yeah. I was just numb, you know, running out of the water. I was cramping on the way to the bike. I had to sit down, put my shorts on and everything. I got overtaken. But uh, yeah, it was, it was fun to look back at. When did you realize, okay, I'm pretty good at this sport and maybe I should be doing more of it? Um, all right. So in... 1989, um, just a few years after, you know, starting the sport. Actually, no, let me wind back. Uh, yeah, yeah. 19, 1988, I, um, well, 1987 was my first Kona. It was my first Ironman uh, in Australia at Foster. Right. And just com I competed because the guy that actually got me into the sport, Richard Walker, he had passed away. Oh. He was uh, three days short of his 21st birthday. And uh, Richard and my other friend, Peter Brunker, and I, we, we had vowed to do this Ironman Foster together. So we were training, doing all these rides and stuff. And, and Richard went off to a race and, uh, you know, 400 metres into the swim, he, he put his hand up and uh, he was leading the swim. He was one of the best swimmers I'd ever seen in my life. Mm -hmm. He put his hand up, he, 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 you know, he reached out for help and he had a cardiac arrest and, and oh uh, passed away on the way to hospital. So Peter Young and I... How, I mean, yeah, how old? three days short of his 21st birthday. Oh my God. Yeah. So we had um, uh, planned to do it together. So Peter and I went on to do foster and um, we just wanted to finish. Right. Um, we, we trained pretty well for it. And at that time I was working six days as a builder, six days. I was going to say you're a construction guy. Yeah. I was working six days a week and um, because I had, you know, good incentives to work the weekend and, and whatever. And so, but I was, I was, you know, getting up and riding my bike at 4.30 in the morning till 6.30. Then I'd drive to work, be at work by seven and, and whatever. And we, we did it. We did it. And, but what I didn't realize is that in that race that day at Foster, um, there was seven spots available for Kona. And we didn't even really think about that, but I ended up running off the bike about, 20 or 30th place or something off the bike into third and they got a qualifying spot. <laughs> <laughs> you came to Kona. Your first time out. Really? Wow. Kona. What was that Kona experience like? It was awesome. I was 45th overall. 
I did, I want to say I did nine hours, yeah, nine hours and 45 minutes. So in that time, Bob, you probably remember, but it was on your times that you requalified to come back. And then after that year, it was like top five in your age group and you got to come back. So from then, I just kept on, you know, qualifying every year. But it was in 1988 to, uh, to answer your question that I actually felt like I had a chance in the sport because um, Stephen Foster, he was like the Australian guy that came and he yep. won Bud Light, Chicago or something like that yep. against all the top guys, against Mark and Dave and, yep. and Pig and, and Melina and uh, Tinley. And he came back to uh, Australia and raced the week after. And I won the race in Lake Macquarie and he got second. And we're like, oh, my gosh, you know. So, yeah, from that day, it was, it was that day, yeah, that I, I knew that there was going to be something there. So I remember 89 and nobody knew who you were, right? And here's Dave and Mark having this epic race. And you're, you know, you're running your way in the third place. You remember them? Because there's a huge entourage around them. You must have seen these guys. As you, were, you're, you had like the best seat in the house. I have no memories of them at all. They really? Were, nope. They were in a different zip code. They were 20 minutes ahead. 20 minutes up, I know, yeah. Yeah. They, they were two and a, almost two and a half miles in front of everyone else at the end of the race. So I, had, I have no recollection of of them at all wow. all i remember of that race all i remember of that race is i was i was still riding the, the the first bike i ever had and it was so sloppy it was aluminium and uh it, i had a i had a pair of zip uh what were they you know the tri spokes yeah they were made the 1500s the, and they were just beautiful wheels at the time so that was the only thing that looked good on my bike um so but i got off the bike i don't know what position like 40th or something like that yeah. and ran into third but how i ran into third was you know passing tinley at around about uh six miles to go you know passing paulie kiru then i had um, my sight set on Kenny Glar. So I was coming down um, Polani and I could see, I could see Kiru, uh, uh, you know, I passed him at the top of the hill and at the bottom of the hill, there was Kenny Glar. It was hilarious because he had, he had like a hundred yards on me, right? Yeah. So I'm getting to, I, I didn't even know what position I was in, Bob. Right. So I come down the bottom of the hill and I see Kenny. So I just start sprinting, right? <laughs> just like a rookie right so I started sprinting and I overtake him and, and he gave me a look he just looked across with that like that, that squirmy little moustache of his and he's like who the hell are you <laughs> I'm <laughs> the guy in third that's who yeah. I am <laughs> yeah I know so, so well, I passed him got yeah. across the line 8 hours 32 minutes and 16 seconds yeah. Kenny Glar was 10 seconds behind and Paulie Kiru another 10 seconds behind that <laughs> wow Okay. Yeah. Here's, here's what I remember from that race clearly. The day after the race, they always had the press conference on the stage. You were the host and, and, and you said straight away, um, who are you? <laughs> and where do you come from? And all I know about you is you're a construction worker. So that's what I remembered. And I had to have a good laugh at that because uh, I was sitting next to two guys on the stage that uh, demanded the attention of the triathlon world because they, great, they gave us the greatest race in history. Right. It was very special. 
And so then, the, but the following year, so you get 89, you get third at Kona, 1990, you win the ITU World Championship at Disney World. And I don't think a lot, of, even though you had gotten third in Kona, it's not like people were going, Greg Welch is going to win the World Championships here. There was a lot of big names there. Yeah, there's yeah, there was a lot of big names. No, I mean, everyone was there that had to be there, but it just fell into my hands because I love racing in hot and humid conditions. Yep. My body arrived on that. No good in the cold weather, of course. Um, so when we were down in Orlando, you know, I um, not a lot of people know this, but five weeks beforehand, I had actually uh, dislocated. Uh, sorry, I uh, separated my uh, shoulder, my AC joint, third uh, third degree separation. So. I was up in Canada at a World Cup race uh, with Brad Bevan and the Australian team and whatever. So anyway, I couldn't swim for two weeks, um, go down to Florida, you know, with only a couple of weeks of swim training under my belt. But we were, we were training pretty well at that time. And, uh, you know, get off the bike. The bike was a bit of a draft fest. I got to admit that. It was just ridiculous. Um, and then when we got on the run, it just like you and I, Bob, run and huddle running along the golf course in the mornings playing our speed golf. It was all on a golf course. Yes. That's what I thrive on. It was a cross-country yes. run. So I ran, I, you know, all off the bike pretty pretty much together except for Rob Mackle and a few others were off the bike a little bit, a little bit ahead. And Mackle was the last guy that I ended up passing to get into the lead. So he was in first place for a long time. And get into the lead, Brad's in second, Stephen Foster in third. We sweep it one, two, and three in Florida in the second year of the World Championships. And Rob Mackle's one of my best friends uh, to this day. Ah, does he still give you crap? You give him crap about that? You finally, you uh, we rarely it. talk about it. We just talk when we fix roofs and, you know, do all that sort of crap at his house. <laughs> So then you, you, when you came, when you take second in Kona in 91 to Mark Allen, then you're the, you're the guy, you're the guy who's going to knock Mark off. I remember we did a photo shoot with you and you and Mark leading into 90, actually, I think it was leading into 92 and then 93, you got injured, right? And couldn't, you couldn't race after taking second in 91, you couldn't race in, no, 93, you were injured and couldn't race. Yeah. Yeah. So 91, um, I really thought I had a good chance that day and I still see shots on, on um, social media. There's one really good shot with Wolfgang Dietrich, um, Mark and myself. Yep. And then cause it was always Wolfgang and Rob off the front and then we, we'd catch Mackle and Dietrich and then we'd, you know, dust them, you know, on the run of course. But, right. um, uh, but then I saw this one shot of Mark and I just stretching out along the Leaky Drive because when we used to finish up at the Kona Surf, which is now the Sheridan, uh, seven miles out of town, you had that hill to get out of and then along the Leaky Drive. So we were shaded for about six, seven miles before we actually got into the real heat. Right. So Mark and I were stretching it out in 91 and it, it was too fast for me, but I held it, right? And that was my mistake. So by the time that we got to the top of Polani Hill, he had about 100 yards on me and I was toast. All I had to do was hang on for a second and I did, but it was a mistake. 92, um, had a good year, uh, but unfortunately, I'd sort of burnt myself out a little bit in Colorado. Um, I had a little bit of a hole in my uh, colon <laughs> by uh, dehydrating. Uh, yeah. I was up in Boulder, Colorado and training really, really hard and um, ended up, you know, having a colonoscopy. And, and so it was a little hard to sit on the bike seat that year. We'll go by that one. 93 uh, Duathlon World Championships two weeks before Kona. I thought it was my last hard hit out go off and win that uh, down in yep. Dallas, Texas, come home the very day later 
one day before I'm leaving for Kona, uh, on my way home from a swim set um, up at University of California, San Diego, yeah. I'm riding along uh, La Costa Avenue uh, on my way home, just doing a little bit of a time trial, and um, a car turned right in front of me, and I, I hit the hood of the car, went flying over the car, uh, ended up in the ER, and went to Kona the very next day on a set of crutches, and um, and I badly sprained uh, medial collateral ligaments uh, in my left knee that I would have to rehab, um, you know, for about three months um, after that. Nobody wants to go when you're that fit coming off duathlon world. Nobody wants to go and watch Ironman, right? But you learned a few things by watching Ironman that year, didn't you? Yeah, you know it too well. I think you and I have had this conversation many times. So I, I was given the opportunity to sit in the NBC car and do a little commentary. And, um, you know, for Lisa Lax, you know, she was the uh, the producer and director mm -hmm. of the show back then. And, um, gosh, she was amazing. We miss yeah, her. She was kind of, um, yeah, so I got to go out in one of the Ford Mustangs and, you know, get sunburnt. But I, I did get to look at the race and how it unfolded and how Mark, you know, won his races and how smart he was to sit back and just, you know, watch the race unfold in front of him. So that was, you know, something that I learned, uh, learned from uh, for sure. So 93 was a, a good learning year. And that was the year I think that Paulie Kiru pushed Mark. Right. He got second that year. Yeah. And then so Paulie was the guy going into the 94 race saying, hey, I'm going to run, you know, 245 off the bike and, you know, I'm, this, this is my year. And, but you, that year, you were probably as dedicated as you'd ever been to, to getting to Kona and being fit and ready and not distracted, right? Was that, you seemed really, uh, that was the year that you were totally focused on one, on that race. There, there was a lot that went on in 93. So, um, you know, I got married. Um, then straight after that, I was like, I was rehabbing, you know, from like October, November, December, uh, January. January, I had to go back down to Australia and race in the, in the short series on a bum knee, you right. know. <laughs> Ended up finishing second in the series like I always did to Brad Bevan because he was just the master. He was just the king of the, the short course racing. And then that year in 94, I knew I was going to be, you know, dedicated back to my craft. So what I had to do was make sure that my knee was right, first of all. So I, 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 I did the races in Australia because I was, you know, uh, you know contractually right. committed to those. Um, and then I came back and I cut my season a little bit short. So... I, I really needed to go and do an Ironman. I spoke with my agent, Murphy Reinschreiber, and he was like, Greg, you've got, to, you've got to test this out at a longer distance and, you know, just make sure that you're not going to hurt yourself going forward because we wanted the longevity, sure. you know, of a career instead of just going out and being silly and, uh, you know, overworking it and prolonging the, uh, the injury. The problem was uh, we actually chose Japan Ironman because of the heat and humidity, and I'd done it twice before, and I absolutely love racing in Japan. Um, I went there, and guess who turned up? <laughs> Paulie Kiru. Oh, and I'm Paulie like, up. no, why? But, you know, out of everybody, either Mark or Paulie was, were the guys that were on top. It just so happened that Mark in 94 was taking the year out. I think that he and Julie were taking the year out to be with Matt's, you know, their yeah, son. Yeah, baby, yeah. And, yeah, baby. And um, 
He's a lovely young man. And um, so I go there and race Paulie Kieran. <laughs> and Paulie, Paulie and I, we always have a good laugh. But, um, yeah, he pushed me there uh, that day. I think I went like 8.03, no, 8.07 or something like that. Yeah, 8.07 it was. And, on a, you know, it's just hot and humid. You've got to run across the top of the rice paddies and, you know, it was a great day and I ended up winning and uh, it was great. We had a great race together. He got second and, um, and that pushed me. And, and by the end of that race, I knew that if I just had a good rest, um, got my knee strong again, uh, I'd be okay. But, you know, coming home after, after that race, Bob, I did take a couple of weeks off, you know, completely just to let the leg heal. And then I hired a strength coach. And that was the best thing I did, you know, just to get my leg strong again, because um, I atrophied quite a bit on my left leg. As, as a matter of fact, I lost a muscle, a whole muscle on the bottom of the quadricep. Wow. On, yeah, on the outside. So I don't have that anymore. So, yeah, so I had to, you know, do it with what I had. So it all worked out. It, it worked out. And so 94, uh, you win that race and that you were the first non-American guy to win the Ironman World Championship. Now, how, obviously you'd had some sponsors leading in, but winning that race, how did that change your career? Yeah, it changed it. It changed it a lot. Um, you know, I, I, I hadn't raced an, uh, an Ironman in Europe. I got an offer to go to Europe and do a race over there. So I did, I went and did Ironman Germany the next year. Um, you know, I got a couple of new sponsors and things, you know, I was, I was riding on my, my soft ride there for five years and it was incredible. You know, um, I just loved that bike. And, you know, so I, you know, I was with Saucony for a long time, six years of my career. Yep. And uh, yeah, so no, it was just, it was really nice, but it did, it did give me the, you know, the options of, you know, choosing a few more races, the ones that I, you know, never went to before and, and did that. But um, yeah, it really did change it. Um, but I didn't want to change myself. I didn't want anything else to change, but to just go and, you know, be, be who I, who I was, be true to that. And, um, you know, just enjoy the sport because I think that you need to love what you do, right. uh, you know, first and foremost, otherwise it, it <laughs> doesn't really work out. <laughs> so when I look at your career, I look from 89 to 99 and I see a guy who did basically two seasons a year, right? You did, you'd come to the States and do our summer season. Then you go back to Australia and these high intensity, fast races all during your summer in Australia. Basically yeah. in 10 years, you had 20 seasons. That's a, that's a lot of racing. Was there, when, was there a point during that where you felt like, I, I just need a break. This is just too much. Yeah, it was 21 seasons back to back because I never stopped. The, uh, never. the longest, I had, yeah, longest time I had between races was five weeks in 22 seasons, 21 seasons. <laughs> but yeah, coming, coming home to do those races in Australia, man, they were the best races. And you've seen them. You can still watch them on YouTube. They're just absolutely incredible. But the first race, I'd have to give it a wash because I would come off Ironman in October. I would take all of November off. And then, you know, December, I'd do probably a short course race in Australia somewhere or, you know, a fun run or a half marathon or you know, do something. And then it was the second week in January that we'd start up, you know, the live TV series would start up in Australia. Five weeks over, sorry, five races over, I think it was about an eight-week period yep. or a nine-week period in summer, we would... Um, 
uh, we would uh, do it with the Surf Life Saving Series as well, the, what they call the Ironman, Surf Ironman Series. So uh, it was one week the triathlete, you know, one week the Ironman Series. So, you know, the summer of sport in Australia was just absolutely firing, you know, at that time. And, uh, you know, most of Australians, you know, they, they would know who all the triathletes are by their first and last names and same with the Ironman people. So we were household names down there and it was just fun. A lot so you of fun. Had, I mean, talking to Jay Brad Bevan, what, Greg Bennett, Miles Stewart, uh, you, you had... Chris McCormack. Almaca was in that series back then too, yeah. Spencer so, Smith. <laughs> yes, and you know, did now did Crowey did, was was he a little yep. later in that, or he was part of that as well? He wasn't in it the first year or the second year, but I rallied. I personally rallied to get Craig into the series because we were training partners, and yeah. and I said to these guys, I said, dude this guy can keep up with us like on the run, like, you know, in training and not many people can. And he's a great swimmer. He's a good biker and he's a cheeky little bugger. And he'll, <laughs> he'll do some talking in the group, you know, he like back at it and stuff. And, yeah. Crowley got into the series and he did all right. I mean, he was never, he wasn't winning the races, but you always knew that he was going to be a long course, uh, you know, long course athlete. So 96, your third. And when we move into what, to me, one of the most amazing races ever, '99, uh, when you uh, you you know something's wrong, right? You stopped during the swim, uh, World Championship, and you have to like grab onto a board for a while because your heart was racing so fast. Yeah, let me let me. Um, I'm going to get back to that, Bob. I'm going yeah. to jump back to '96 and jump sure. straight. 99 because '96 for me was a pivotal year. Um, it was. I was trying to do something that nobody had ever done before, and that's the Grand Slam. Nobody yeah. had ever won duathlon, the half, uh, Ironman, and uh, Olympic distance. Right. So my last shot at you know, pretty much doing the long course, which was uh, at Muncie, Indiana that year in 96, but I was up against uh, um, Luke Van Leer, Spencer Smith. Everybody was there, right? And it was the yeah. prelude to Kona. It was five weeks before Kona. Uh, on a very, very hot and humid course in Muncie, Indiana, in the middle of summer, right? So incredibly humid. Um, Luke Van Leer, Spencer Smith and I, we had a knock, knockdown, like we had yeah. a fight out there all the way to that finish line. I won, Luke second, Spencer third. Going into Kona in 96 was incredible. 96 in Kona, not only did Luke Van Leer win the race, but he broke my record. Yeah, he went like 8.04, I think it was. Break the record uh, that stood for quite a few years. Um, and Thomas Hellregal in second. Here's the story of 96 Ironman. Yeah. We get up to Luke Van Leer and I, we're leading the race. We're at Kauai High. We turn right to start the 19 miles up. We look around. Luke says, Hellregal's coming. And Hellregal goes by us and looks around. He goes, you coming or not? <laughs> Hellregal said that to you guys? Yeah. And then Luke looks at me, he goes, you going? And I'm like, nope, you go. Luke got out of the saddle and sprinted like he was going up the Champs-Élysées on the 21st day of the Tour de France. Anyway, he goes with Hell Regal. I'm in no man's land until uh, Jürgen Zak and Peter Reed catch me yeah. at Kauai High on the way back. So I was 38 miles on my own, going up the hill to get back onto the Queen K. Yeah. I go from my big chain ring to my small chain ring. And the bloody chain comes off and wraps around the crank. I'm back there for like two minutes trying to get this stupid thing. Back. All I had to do was unwind it. So I stretched it over. I got back on, but I had a stiff link all the way back. So I'm like, ding, 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 bang, ding, 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 bang. 
I catch back up to Jurgen Zag and Peter Reed on the bike from two minutes down, and I run into third place, and and that was that was in that was I personally I think yes. that was my best Kona race, and it was my fastest Kona race. Going into '99, I went to World Championships in Montreal, and this this was the first day that I actually felt like there was something wrong with my body. Um, it was a, I think it was a two o'clock start in the afternoon. So we had to have like a, like about an eight or a nine o'clock breakfast and then just a little bit to, you know, right before the race. But I think I, I think I had like too many cups of coffee and I was a little bit on the edge and, and sort of felt like palpitations and whatever. And that was the first day that I, it was the only day that I ever felt like there was something wrong with my body. Let's fast forward about four weeks. We go to um, Kona. And as you mentioned, Ben, I was in the uh, Bob. I was in the swim um, around about. I think it was 20 minutes into it. We were just about to turn the uh, first turning buoy. NBC boat right beside us, panning along, getting a beautiful shot. Tim DeBoom, Luke Van Leeter, Greg Welch, top three. We got a 40-yard gap, you know, over the rest of the field, swimming really well. And all of a sudden, my body just went numb. It was like. Where did my breath go? I couldn't even breathe. And I, I was about to blank out, you know, pass out because I went into ventricular tachycardia. But what I thought at the time, I thought I was having an asthma attack. So I just went to the lifeguard and the lifeguard I ended up knowing, Michael McMichael, is the head of the lifeguards. I've known Michael for like 25, 30 years now. <laughs> He's Loki's, like, is that Loki's dad? Yeah, yeah. Loki's Loki's dad. Dad, yeah. yeah, Loki's dad. He's like, Greg, hey you got to let go of the boat, mate. You've been here for like a minute or so. I said, I, I can't breathe. Michael, I can't breathe. He says, mate, you've got to let go or you've got to pull out. So I let go. I did a little bit of backstroke. And all of a sudden, I popped out of VTAC and I went back into the normal sinus rhythm. So I started swimming again. Anyway, long story short, it happened about three times on the swim where I had to stop for about two minutes at a time. I think I had a swim time that day of about 56 54. minutes or something. 54. 54 so I'm normally... Yeah, I'm, I'm normally like a 49, 50 swimmer, 50, yeah. 51, something like that. And anyway, so I get out onto the bike ride thinking there's nothing wrong with me. I get, um, and about 10 times, I actually had to get off my bike and put my head onto my handlebars and just try and breathe because I had no breath. So I was in ventricular tachycardia again, three times on the run, stopped at the top of Polani Hill. Chris Lee's father-in-law is at the top of the hill. He's a doctor. And I said, hey, Roger, I, he goes, he goes, you all right, Greg? You know, and I'm like, I don't know, something's going on and blah, blah, blah. So I feel good again. So I just took off. I ran from, I think it was like 45th, 60th, something like that, into 11th place. 246. 246, second fastest run of the day, and into 11th place. I was so mad. I finished in 11th place because I was one out of the money, but I almost died 15 times. So... After that, did you go to the hospital? I mean, you... did not go to the hospital. One week after, went to Exterra Maui, yeah. did the run again. I had all those problems and set the run record there. <laughs> then, two weeks later, I had to go to Noosa because I was still number one in the world. And going into Sydney 2000, I wanted to keep that number one world ranking because I would have the choice of the pontoon, right? The choice on the pontoon. And but for, for our listeners, for our watchers, the this was going to be the first ever Olympic triathlon in Sydney, a course that you had won on, right? You'd won on that, yeah. that race course before. Yeah. Won the test event, won the world cup there twice. So, and I was, I was born 12 miles from the finish. Line. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you know where I wanted to finish my career. Absolutely. <laughs> so anyway, so, yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, I go down to Noosa, and uh, it was the last race of the year, and I, you know, I'm planning on racing, but uh, you know, during the week, um, uh, I was waiting to race, and I was sitting on the couch, and I was in Vitae, took my pulse, two hundred and sixty-five is just checking it for a few hours and I was like, this is not right. So I actually hopped on a plane and went back to Sydney to go and see the cardiac doctors and that was life of the triathlete, done, retired. Right. And what did they tell you? I mean, obviously, they you know, me, there's, when your heart rate's at 265 and you're an endurance athlete, they, there's something major. Yeah, they told me it was a little dangerous to race with what I had. Ventricular tachycardia is probably the worst form of a, of a heart problem that you can have because it's electrically induced. Yeah. Um, and, and therefore, it's, it's, when it goes off, it's very violent. Um, so it's a volatile thing that uh, can happen. But my heart rate in Kona, Bob, I can tell you by the results of all my tests, which were the same feelings as what I had in Kona, was 320. 320. Every time that that happened that day, it was 15 to 18 times that I counted that day in Kona that that happened. So I can just thank my lucky stars and I'm very blessed that I'm still alive. Well, the fact that you ran 246 and finished 11th overall while you're and dealing with that? And stopped three times. That's unbelievable, Greg. Yeah. I mean, well, one, it is, it is amazing you're, you're yeah. with us. <laughs> yeah. And did they right away go, we need to put in a pacemaker, defibrillator? Uh, how, how how long was that process? After I was diagnosed, um, it was in December of 99, yeah. uh, up in Los Angeles at UCLA Medical Center. Um, I, I did a battery of tests. I did an endomyocardial biopsy. I did an angiogram. I did an electrical physiological mm -hmm. study, which is where they do the ablation surgery. Yes. Um, so there was three surgeries within a month. And then um, uh, it didn't, the the big surgery which is the ep study uh is where they map your heart and they try and find you know the, the where the scarring is and they go in with a high frequency radio wave with a cold tipped uh uh catheter yes. and they try to burn you know the or ablate uh you know the, the points of the heart which has been damaged so they didn't really get um all of it because it was they were saying it was sitting up a uh, heart up against the lung and if they missed it it would be very very dangerous so um about go forward uh, about four months i was in australia and uh i was wasn't feeling that well at all um so yeah it was year 2000 that I had six more EP studies done. It was just horrible. I had two done in a week uh, because I'd come out of hospital and I was going back into VTAC all the time. So I was sitting around there for about a month. My heart rate was about 150 just sitting on the couch and just couldn't do anything about it for like a month. So when the Olympics comes to Sydney in 2000, and uh, I remember looking around and you're in the stands and Greg Bennett's in the stands and Brad Bevins in the stands, and you're going, I thought this would be the team. <laughs> A year ago, I would have said, these are the guys who are going to be representing yeah. Australia in the first ever Olympic triathlon. How hard was it for you to, to just be there watching? I got over my my issues really quickly because I, I knew that I was probably going to do the Olympics in Sydney, do Kona and then call it a day. Right. And so I was very close to, you know, the end anyway. So I got over it really quickly because um, I would rather live than die doing something, you know, uh, stupidly. Um, 
and just, you know, taking that, um, just making a bad choice. I didn't want to make a bad choice. And, uh, and I, I wanted to have kids and, you know, a family and everything. So, so today I have two beautiful daughters and it's just amazing. So I, I made the right decision. But to uh, have Brad there, Brad had some real bad luck, you know, going into the test event. Um, he was uh, hit by a car the day before, yeah. Um, actually, yeah, the uh, selection race. Uh, and then Benno, he was like, he was the guy that was coming on. So we actually sent Craig Walton, who was like the probably the best swim biker that we've ever seen in the Olympic history i believe yeah uh, and secondly um uh peter robertson he how's this peter robertson had one shot they said to him go to new zealand do the oceana championships and you have to win he went to new zealand he won the race he got onto the team it's amazing and then you had miles stewart miles finished sixth place and so and so has it right now miles the ceo of triathlon australia to this day so that's, that's incredible cool. and then our women's team was full of um it was it was full of it was one disaster disaster after the next it was like you know talks of a court case and all this sort of stuff around the selection and everything but we sent a young team loretta harrop nikki hackett which two with the great swimmers um loretta harrop didn't have a you know she never had a uh, like a soft leg she was good at all three but mckeely jones you yeah. know going away with the silver medal at the first medal event in the Olympic games in 2000, you know, right near where she was born too. So it was incredible, but I got to commentate. So that was icing on the cake. Moving into that part of it, because obviously as an athlete, just being able to stay in the sport that you love and you've been involved with Ironman, you've been involved with Oakley, you work with ITU and the, the Olympic format as well. It seemed like you moved seamlessly from, an athlete to a spokesperson and a commentator. I I looked at um I I didn't want to go back to doing what I was doing. It was hard physical labor. Right. Um and I just I really like being around a lot of people and the industry to me, I love sports. So it doesn't matter what sport it is. You can ask me a question about any sport. I probably know some sort of answer, but I just, I'm just a sports jock. Um, so I just, I think I wanted to remain in, in the sporting industry and I got lucky. Um, Ironman picked me up that year in, in 2000. I've been an employee of Ironman since 2000. I've been there 20 years. That's it's amazing. been amazing. An amazing run. I've seen everything. It's been great. I've got some such great friendships. I mean, you and I have been friends for 30 years, Bob. Yeah. It's amazing. And, you know, it, it's given me everything. So uh, I just, it fell into my lap. Very, very lucky. Love that. Well, Chief, thank you, bud. Always so good. And your, your health now? Man, health is awesome. I'm doing so well. Um, this morning I surfed for two hours with my oldest daughter, Annie. I went and played pickleball for two and a half hours and I'm talking to you and now I'm going to go out for a bike ride and just have fun. I love it. Greg Welch, you are we one of my favorite. we got to get back on the speed golf course there, Bobby. Okay, wait. Here we go. Yeah, eight or eight. Kept me going. <laughs> hey, guess it. who took that picture? Lois Schwartz. The greatest. Lois Schwartz took that photo. And who was driving the motorbike? John Smith. Big Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Hey, <laughs> Greggy, thanks so much. I really appreciate you taking so much time. Always great to catch up with you. You give that beautiful wife, Heidi, a big hug for me. <laughs> Greg Welch has been our guest. Again, we're brought to you by PTO, the Pro Triathletes Organization, by Amp Human. Velofix, Norma Tech, Form Goggles, You Can, our Challenged Athletes Foundation. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.